What's up, everyone? This is episode number 19 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as usual, I've had some good conversation with you guys on my Instagram this week, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. I want to start off today by actually sharing something I showed off on my Instagram, um, which was part of a kind of a quick hobby success story from this week. Those of you that follow current releases, you guys know that Panini just recently put out a product called Chronicles. Um, I already saw someone complaining online that the set's devalued by the saturation of rookies, yada, yada, yada. Look, it's collect what you like, right? It's a fun set that pays tribute to some of Panini's forgotten brands or popular inserts from their football releases. It's not going to hold a lot of value, but, you know, if you like it, get it. That's what really counts. Um, Personally, I wasn't planning on buying any, but I saw a card from the set and it was listed as a preview card, and it was kind of like an all-black refractor. I, I guess I should use the word prism, but I thought to myself, wouldn't it be sweet to pull Luca's version of that card? So I, I got in the car, I went to Walmart, I bought a couple of hanger packs, and lo and behold, I actually got the Luca preview card. And like I said, I posted that one up. You can see a picture of it. In all my years collecting, that's probably the only time that's happened. In fact, that's why I usually just buy singles. Um, So that was fun. Maybe you guys have a story like that as well. Um, Feel free to share it with me on Instagram. Um, All right. Well, in lieu of this whole trimming scandal and all of the online sleuthing that's taking place on hobby message boards, I've received a lot of requests from you guys to talk to one of these people, to talk to one of these hobby investigators. Um, one of them, one of the more prominent ones, I've mentioned him before in my episodes, is SuperDan49. Um, SuperDan49 was kind enough to give me some of his time. We recorded this conversation earlier tonight, and I hope you guys enjoy. All right, so I'm here with Dan today, and some people from the online collecting community, you might know um, Dan as SuperDan49, and I've referenced you once or twice on the show before. But it's nice to finally get to chat with you. Hey, Kyle. Good to be here. So before we really dive into today's main topic, um, I'd like for listeners to get a chance to learn a little bit about you. So, um, you know, and, and we're big on collecting here. So if, if you could sum up your collecting backstory for us, what would that look like? Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm one of those guys who has that typical Collected as a kid, late 80s, early 90s, into the into the mid to late 90s. Then went to college, stopped collecting um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Bought a pack here or there, you know, at Walmart just for nostalgia. Uh, but I really got back into it around 2009, 2010. And I just, just kind of dabbled at first and then uh, kind of went full throttle around 2011, 2012. And I've been collecting ever since. Okay, so you've been back in for around a decade now, it sounds like, on and off. Um, yep. What are your interests now in, in 2019? What are you looking for? And then why did you come back to collecting? Yeah, um, so I, it's, it's interesting that a lot of people have kind of uh, picked up collecting recently. Again, I noticed a lot of the people in the same boat as me. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of tamping down at this point. I, I consider my personal collection almost complete. I have a few choice cards that I'm after still. 
Uh, but what I collect generally is baseball. A, a huge baseball guy, particularly Yankees cards. Mostly modern, some vintage. Uh, but then I, I do dabble in basketball, non-sports, and, and football, probably in that order. Are you a big Aaron Judge fan? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I have some Judge cards, uh, but Jeter, number one, and Mickey Mantle, probably number two for, for stuff from my personal collection. And also autographs, Yankees and Hall of Fame autographs, baseball, are kind of okay. my, my spot, so, yeah. Those who've listened before, obviously, you know, this is unmistakably a basketball card podcast. Dan here focuses mainly on baseball. So at first, if you don't know him, it it might seem strange that I even have him on the show. I'm not looking to branch out. This is a basketball card podcast, but there are some topics that I think collectors of all sports can benefit from. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, if you guys have been listening, I've talked about the LeBron James RPA and then that infamous RPA thread. Um, now, Dan, you've said before that it was that thread that inspired you to do a little digging with other high-profile cards, one of which being a Tom Brady card. Um, and that, in turn, evolved in, into one of the most impressive uh, internet sleuthing jobs I've ever seen. Can you run listeners through that process and, and kind of tell us what happened and, and what inspired that and how that all came about? Yeah. Um, by the way, I listened to the first half of that podcast today. You, you did as good a job as you possibly could summarizing that entire thread because that, that really was, it, it was like people screaming at each other at the bar. <laughs> Nothing with, linear at all. No, right. It was not linear. And, and to make sense of that is pretty difficult. And I think, I think that turns a lot of people off initially to even trying to read it. But the, but the executive summary you gave was, was pretty good. But anyway, uh, that aside. So back in September, I think it was, maybe August of 2018 last year, I noticed there was a, cl- uh, a seller on eBay who was selling some 1996 Jeter rookies that were extremely condition sensitive that were in PSA 10 after PSA 10 after PSA 10. And um, his, his eBay name was Bristol Collectibles. It's now I sell, you are, your cards. Uh, so he changed it. Uh, but anyway, I, I started digging into it. I was like, well, how does this guy get 10 after 10 after 10? Uh, the card was a, um, a 1996 studio. That's a brand in baseball was. Uh, Derek Jeter Rookie. And it was one of the parallels. And I, I remember collecting that set and I, I want to say every card it's a full uh, full bleed border so no white border no black border photo border every card was chipped on the borders and I didn't know how this guy was getting tens and they were PSA tens uh, you know and, and and I to that point had completely trusted third-party grading thinking oh they can they can catch trimming or alterations that's what they're they're trained to do that's their reason for existence and right. I, I don't know what made me think like oh let me try to find the befores it, it's kind of, it, it's all second nature now in retrospect um it seems pretty obvious but I, I don't know what triggered me to look at worth point but I, I think i was like let me just see if i can try to find if this sold somewhere before um, so I was and able. To, let me let yeah, me cut you. Um, just interject here real quick. And for those of you that aren't familiar, this card is is not serial numbered, correct? 
No, it's not serial number. No, this was actually a tougher find than than a lot of what we're finding. That's right. Um, I don't know if you could pull up the thread. It 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 was a thread that got so little attention at the time, and in fact, I think one of the blowout forum moderators put it into uh, a member feedback section out of the baseball section altogether, and it only had I think two pages. Um, it was the Which first. Which no one looks at that. It's hard to even knowing about it. It's hard to find it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's kind of like exiling something to Siberia, and it was put there, and, and it didn't get any attention. And to be honest, I I wasn't looking for attention. I was just trying to point out, hey guys, this is a this is a seller, and who I thought was an isolated thing, selling cards that have demonstrably been altered in PSA holders. And what what I did was there was that particular set. The foil stamping never was perfect, so it would always leave like a unique wear pattern within the foil, and I found the unique wear pattern within the Yankee logo of that card in a card, uh, I forget if it was in eBay sold items or in WorthPoint, one or the other, and then I started going through the inventory of that seller and found uh, a couple other cards at that time. Uh, I think one of them might have been a LeBron card, if I'm not mistaken, a die-cut LeBron card. And there were a a couple other Jeters as well. Uh, You can, I don't know if you can pull that up. Because that, for me, that was the thread that started it all. But it was, it it was a thread that literally got maybe, I don't know, 20 people to respond to it. Saying, oh, this this is awful. But it just kind of went away. And to be honest, I forgot about it until the the famous or infamous LeBron RPA thread came up and right and we had uh, even the the infamous LeBron thread I think that was started around it was Thanksgiving around yeah. that time frame so it, this was two months prior to that yeah and and again no attention at the time but what happened was I I don't visit I, I do more often now but I didn't I don't visit the basketball threads that much I I have a small I had a small stash of, of uh, just common LeBrons and um, a, a few Michael Jordans. Because, you know, it's, it's like Trout and Jeter. Everybody has a few Jordan and LeBron cards. So tell me then, how did this, um, you, you had, this all happened in September. The LeBron stuff happened in November. Yeah. Uh, but you didn't uncover all of the stuff about the, the paper cutter until... It was after the LeBron thread started. Is that correct? I, I didn't pick up on the LeBron thread. I want to say I started reading along right before Christmas of 2018. Okay. Yeah. And, and it got me thinking. It, it kind of brought back, hey, you know, I, I found this this Bristol collectibles guy, seller, uh, with, the, with these trim cards. Let me see what else he has. So I started digging into his inventory, and that's when I found... The uh, Flair Showcase uh, serial numbered Tom Brady card, which, if memory recalls, it it was a PSA nine that used to be a PS or it was PSA nine or eight that used to be a PSA five, hmm. and that's when the the process began, really in earnest, of these exposure threads. And, and where, that kind of, a five to a nine is the point where you say, okay, this isn't just you know someone's subjective opinions being different on two days. That's too way too big of a jump. 
I, I knew at that point that this this guy, you know, who, who was exposed later on in the thread, completely exposed with his own name and email address out there. Um, you know, he, he what you know, and you mentioned it in the previous podcast that he had requested help from Berkeley engineering students on on some Berkeley uh, board, which you can find the link in that thread. And I think that board is down, but I archived it. So if you type in that that URL um, in archive.org, you can you can find the original post that the guy the guy made. And um, he asked for the help of Berkeley engineering students to modify a paper cutter. He actually gave a PDF of the instruction manual for the paper cutter, so I was able to find it on Amazon and put a picture up of that very paper cutter. Martin Yale, it was the brand. And he asked for them to be able to help modify the paper cutter to trim exactly one sixteenth of an inch all round off of cardboard, saying he had some, uh, some delicate paperwork that he did. Uh, and that was really the first time I, because I've always had good internet sleuthing skills, uh, but I, I never put them to use for, for cardboard. I, I, I do some writing and researching uh, on different topics, including baseball. Uh, so this this was the first time I got to use it towards baseball cards, and uh, it, you know, it, it's that's a bombshell. It's a guy essentially who we first found to be selling trimmed cards, then asking for help, which I don't know if he got it or not. He might have. Uh, maybe the, the engineering student was the one that designed this or modified this paper cutter for him to, to do this these nefarious things. And um, that that was really the beginnings of, of my entry, you know, full-time, if you will, into exposing some of the this kind of seedy underbelly of the hobby. Let's shift our our focus here, which um, to our main focus, which is protecting my listeners. That could be it's a lot of collectors. It could be investors. Okay, I, I'm not against investors necessarily, but protecting all of these people from altered cards. Um, so let's start with making a purchase online. So and we'll do a little activity here. Let's say I know how to use eBay and I know how to purchase cards, but maybe I'm not as well versed with the rest of the internet. How can I protect myself from purchasing an altered card? And let's go back to that explain like I'm five thing. Try and break it down to me. Yeah, so the first thing you want to do is to check eBay sold listings. Every now and then, you know, one of these card doctors and, and some of them are, actually, I think, uh, I would say quite a few of them are pretty stupid. Uh, they don't, they never thought they had to cover their tracks. Uh, t- today, I think this might be a little different in July 2019 than it was in July 2018, but right. nevertheless, you, you might find somebody who's, you know, bought the card raw, then sent it to BGS on some kind of expedited grading, and then they tr- trimmed it in the meantime, and then it's being sold again. Uh, so eBay sold listings first, and, and those those typically span. I think they last 90 days. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, 90 days. Um, so that's it's really uh, kind of a quick turnaround, uh, but chances are you're not going to find it there, okay? Uh, okay. For, so for modern and and here's the the caveat here, in in baseball, you know the 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 hottest 
for the last five years rookie card is a 2011 Topps Update Mike Trout card. And I'm sure you're familiar with that one. And I think yep. a lot of your listeners probably are too. It's nearly impossible to prove that card to be trimmed unless you have it in person and can study the edges of it versus the edges of a untrimmed, certified untrimmed one. And I shouldn't say certified, but one you know is not trimmed uh, and, and able to measure it. So that card, you know, you, you, I don't think you can you can tell online if it's trimmed or not. And I think and there's, for, and there's white edges, so it's not uh, yeah. something too that you can you know look for wear before and after. It's really hard to see on a just a glossy base card like that. Im- impossible, I would say, or near near right. impossible, uh, unless somebody makes a huge error. Uh, yeah, um, and and to be sure, there's a lot of basketball cards like that as well. Uh, you know, for example, a, a tops a 2000 what would it be 2003 tops LeBron rookie, just the basic tops rookie, right. You're not yeah, that be able and to... the the Curry rookie, yeah, um, right. You know, all the, all the years that were have white borders. Uh, Durant, you know, had a black border, so that might be a little bit easier to work with. Um, but then once again, there's no serial numbers on this stuff. Yep, exactly. And so for those, it's it's just buyer beware. You really just have to investigate the seller. Um, it, you know, uh, maybe. You know, know know the history of the card. That's difficult too. Uh, so probably for those, you're just going to have to, you know, trust and, and and trust your spidey sense. If a seller has card after card after card of BGS pristine tens in uh, from sets that most cards get BGS or PSA nines or eights, chances are the card might have something you know might might have been altered that you're you're after um so you know my my first tip would be if the card has distinguishing features or a serial number or an autograph because every autograph is different okay um then you have a better chance of finding it before it was graded than just just your basic base cards Okay, so let's say um, let's say something has occurred that that was longer than ninety days between the purchase and the alteration and then the selling of it again. Um, yep. What what other and let's say it has a, let's say it has some of those distinguishable characteristics, right? So it is yep. a something that's a little more possible than the big rookie cards. How how then do you go about that online? Where can you go? What type of websites can you use? Okay, so. Um, Right now, I am researching vintage cards, not just baseball, um, all sports, more than modern. And right. did you? Uh, was it you or Corn Dog that discovered the the Bill Russell? It was like uh, a yeah, that was Corn Dog. Yeah, Corn Dog found that fifty-seven tops Bill Russell. And it was, uh, was it twenty-one thousand dollar price jump? Yeah, it was. Um, what happened was a, a, a seller had consigned it to PWCC uh, with the hopes of getting a PWCC premium sticker. Now I'm just going to kind of explain what that is. So PWCC essentially has created a grading of the graded cards, if you will. So they've added another distinction to graded cards, and they will certify cards. In fact, PWCC's owner, Brent Higgins, will personally, and that's according to PWCC's website, that's not conjecture, personally pick out what the cards he thinks are high-end for their grade. So this consigner 
Um, his his uh, blowout name was Six Celtics 33. I guess a big Boston Celtics fan. Um, had another card he wanted to buy, so he consigned his treasured BGS7 uh, 57 tops Bill Russell rookie with to, to PWCC. PWCC, in the description of that Bill Russell card, said that BGS had missed two wrinkles. Two wrinkles, which... And by the way, this is this. I think this is a key card. If there if there is to be a case, built criminal case built against PWCC, I think this card will be one of the major pieces of evidence as to. And this is just my opinion as to as to if, if there's fraud or not. So uh, Brent or somebody at PWCC wrote the description, mentioned these two wrinkles, which the consigner didn't see. And no card graded a seven will have two wrinkles. In fact, the highest I've ever seen a card grade with one wrinkle is a five. Most cards with any wrinkles whatever or creases are graded under a five, which is excellent. So what happened then was that the uh, ID, and, and this, this is out there in the media, so this is not any kind of secret information. Uh, the eBay account Whitman111, okay, which has been definitively, and PWCC has said they're not doing, they put out official statement that they're not doing business with this person anymore, New York-based dealer Gary Mosier, okay, that's, that's a name that's now been in the New York Times and other places. Uh, he bought the card, or his account bought the card. It then ended up in a PSA 7.5 holder, and uh, PWCC did a video on it, and they gave it their uh, their high-end rec- uh, sticker. So just to kind of recap, Celti- uh, Six Celtics 33 consigns the car to PWCC. P- T- PWCC claims in the description of the sale of that card that they see wrinkles that Beckett never saw, that this consigner never saw, the card sells to Whitman 111, who many suspect is working hand in hand with PWCC, not just a consigner. Again, that that needs to be proven. Then the card is altered. Some color is added to it. There were some white spots on the card. The color added to it helps bring up the grade. And Corndog does a great job in, in kind of showing how this card was altered, exactly, uh, precisely where the alterations occurred to, to have that half-grade bump from its BGS holder to a PSA holder. And, and for those who don't know, um, I shouldn't say BGS, I should say BV, BVG, which is Beckett Vintage Grading. Uh, so every Beckett card graded, or, or I should say manufactured, 1980 and earlier, I believe, is not in a BGS holder, it's in a BVG holder. In vintage, collectors, the order is generally PSA first, then SGC, then BVG. So that 0.5 bump was worth like 21 grand. Which is crazy. And it also goes to show, you know, I remember a lot of my audience here is is a basketball audience. Right. Um, Even though the majority of, of what we've seen, or at least what has been uncovered, has been baseball and then also a lot of hockey and then some non-sport as well with the I think the set was called look and see 
Um, yeah. Yep. B- basketball's not exempt from this either. There are a lot of basketball, especially, you know, your key cards are out there and they're being targeted. So let's go back then to, uh, let's say a card does have a serial number, though. And um, you you want to kind of research it. We've gone past that 90-day point on eBay. Um, I know a lot of people use WorthPoint. Um, yes. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about WorthPoint and how that works? Yeah, so uh, WorthPoint, a searchable compendium of eBay data, sales data, going back to, uh, I believe, 2007. Although the recent records in WorthPoint are a lot better than older records. And and also, the pictures from 2014 forward are better than the pictures before that. Uh, if, if, you, if you find a card, for example, that was sold on eBay in 2012, a lot of times WorthPoint, for whatever reason, only saved a thumbnail-sized picture. So uh, unfortunately, when, when, you, when we're doing these cardboard investigations, there's a lot of, I would say, more times than, than we actually find something we can post because um, I, I could speak for myself and, and I know that uh, Corn Dog and, and the other major investigator on blowout 3124508, um, we don't post something unless we, we are certain of it. Uh, there, there's a lot of cases that we can't use what we found because it's not definitive enough even though we're certain that something done nefarious to that card. So what you would do if you were looking for it, let's just say um, the serial number was 15 out of 100. And it's a, we'll say it's a Michael Jordan card. You go into WorthPoint, whatever the set is that you're searching, you type in the name of that set, the name of that player. And then I usually start by actually putting in the serial number. Sometimes right. you'll, you'll get a hit right away by doing that. And that, those are that is as clean as it gets and then if you get it sold from 2014 forward and the other thing is as you know some some sellers take awful pictures so if you have a seller who takes a a picture with a, an old flip phone um, in bad lighting you, you can't see alterations so you, you kind of have to get lucky too and it's it's unfortunate that it, it's it's actually difficult to to do this research definitively and conclusively but sometimes right. you can see you can see enough where you just don't feel comfortable and and right. my advice is if you don't feel comfortable don't buy it wait for the next one unless it's like a one of one or something that you you know you can't pass up uh i i, I could tell you that there's been cards for my personal Derek jeter collection that i've avoided because of this um, right. And, and I, don't, I don't have many on my want list anymore, as I think I mentioned at the beginning. But uh, there's been a few I've, I've said hard pass. Um, now, there are some cases with WorthPoint. Like you said, if, if you're lucky, the, the serial number will come right up. Um, there are other times, like let's say, for instance, I was looking at some Steph Curry RPAs today. Yep. Um, a lot of them, for whatever reason, don't have the serial number in the search. A lot of them won't put the serial number in the description. So I'm, I end up typing in Steph Curry, you know, Steph Curry 2009 Treasures 99 because I don't want one of the parallels. Yeah. And then you might have to look through 300 results. And it comes down to, you know, how much do you really want to know the truth? 
And and that's not to guarantee you'll find the truth, but if you really want to purchase a card, you've got to do your due diligence and you've got to put in the work. That would be my suggestion. Um, you know, if you find yourself in a pinch to where there's three minutes left and you want to bid on something and you just found it, you know, you're you're putting yourself in a vulnerable spot. And like you said, sometimes you just got to let a card go and just, you know, I know it's tough with like these Curry RPAs, you know, they're not, you might see some up for sale, but they're not, it's like the LeBrons, they're not really readily available. Um, so you, you know, you've got to kind of weigh the risks involved with that. Uh, another thing I want to say about Worth Point real quick, I, I know a lot of people, when I've been looking up stuff, I've had people even send me messages, and, and I really don't do a lot of real hard investigating, but they'll say, hey, can you look this up on WorthPoint? Um, WorthPoint's free. There is a paid version of it, but it's actually free. So a lot of people have said that you know they just felt like they couldn't do it because it required money, but you can still search it without having a, a paid subscription. Um, yeah. All right. You know, that, that deals with online buying. Let's say then... Uh, maybe a little more difficult situation here. How do I protect myself if I'm buying a card in person or at a card show of some sort? And I know there are people online that say, "Well, you know, you got to get the you got to get the information and you got to track every card you buy and sell." And I, I do a very small card show myself, and I do not keep records like that. I can only imagine somebody that moves thousands of cards you know, they're probably not doing that as well. So how can I protect myself in person though if I'm trying to make a purchase? Well, you know, you always bring your phone with you. Um, okay. and, and if you're looking for something serial numbered, uh, look, look it up right there. Uh, and one of the things that I think you have to worry about, especially with RPAs, is, is switched patches. So if you're looking up number 34 of 99 um, and you see it at a card show, and then you, you look into Worth Point and you see 34 of 99 uh, has a, a different patch. I think that's, that's one thing you can do to protect yourself. Um, I think a lesser, a lesser problem is retraced autos on some of the earlier Chrome cards. Uh, autographs fade. And uh, we've posted a few that we've found. I think there was a Peyton Manning uh, football rookie. Um, that was posted with a, a retraced autograph th- sold through PWCC. If, if the autograph looks fresh and slightly off, uh, sometimes you can look it up and find that it, it was, particularly on Chrome cards, Chrome-based mm-hmm. cards, you, you can find that a lot of cases it was once a faded auto that somebody just wiped clean uh, and then um, you know re, re-inked. There is, um, and I'll probably end up doing a Curry RPA episode at some point, I don't know if I have it in me right now after the LeBron one, but um, there is a Curry RPA out there that has a, a wiped and a completely new auto on it. Um, so that is something to think about. Yeah, um, I, I think that the, in this order, the concerns for, for RPAs are, are probably trimming number one, patch faking number two, and then you know auto wiping number three. In fact, in, in baseball, one of the biggest cards uh, that was available last year, the Juan Soto Super Refractor out of Bowman Chrome. Um, the autograph went off the edge, and it, it was a BGS uh, 9 auto grade. Somebody wiped the bit that went off the edge, sent it to PSA, and then it became a PSA 10. And that card is completely out of circulation altogether now. Um, nobody knows what happened to it. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to think that 
uh, PSA bought bought back their mistake. I, I can't prove that, but um, in any event, uh, so yeah, this even on you know cards that are worth five figures, uh, people people are willing to wipe part of an autograph or or completely wipe it and redo it. So and even think about um, you know obviously a super factor is a one of one. That's right. And yeah. so it's how much rarer do you want to get than one of one? And but there are people out there, and that's what greed does. There are people that decide, no, I want this to somehow be even more perfect or more rare. Uh, and, and there's got to be a, a cutoff point, you know. How far can you go with that? Um, what about getting information from a seller, like contact information? Do you think that's appropriate? Do you think that's overstepping some boundaries? Um, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? So when I'm buying from a seller, I don't really know much about. And I, I always look at it blow out. Uh, I'll go to Google. I'll write the word site, S-I-T-E, then a colon, then blowoutforums.com. I'll repeat that, site, S-I-T-E, colon, blowoutforums.com. That will confine the search results just to blow out. And then I'll put the seller's username. And you'd be surprised at the stuff that pops up uh, with certain sellers. I'm not going to name seller names here or anything like that. This is just a general uh, you know, general advice. But sometimes you'll say, people will say, well, this seller sold me a card that they didn't disclose a crease or, um, you know, they uh, even, even things like rip me off on shipping, whatever it is. If I find myself uncomfortable with reviews from fellow collectors about that seller from blowout, then I'll then I'll avoid that seller altogether. Um, another thing that that I think I've found is um, the more shows that I go to in this area, um, I I know several guys that I can trust that are are dealers as well, and they are not shy if you ask them typically about saying you know well what what can you tell me about that seller and, and what, you know, what have you heard about that seller? And that's not to say that, you know, everything they've heard is true, but if a lot of what they've heard is negative, that kind of puts you in that direction, I think, to where you know whether or not you should purchase from them. Um, I think another thing that you could do instead of just saying, hey, you know, I need to write down all your contact information in case this thing's fake. Um, a lot of the bigger sellers have business cards. Hey, you know, I appreciate the transaction. Can I get your card? Or, hey, I'm kind of thinking over this card in your showcase and, you know, I, I, I might want to contact you in the future. Can I have your card? Or, you know, maybe you can get the information that way in a way that's um, less invasive and, and less accusatory. At least that would be maybe the approach that I would take. I, I think that that's a good approach, yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I want to add, though, is if, if a seller is listing cards that are uh, you know even $100 or more and they're not putting back photos in their eBay listings and they're not including serial numbers either in the eBay listings or pictures of the serial number on the back, in my experience, that seller is hiding something. Now, it's not always the case. It could be a lazy seller. But in my experience, a lot of the guys that have been busted. And I, I want to say that, you know, I, I consider myself a minor player in, in outing a lot of this. Uh, my hat 
goes off to, to 312, 4508. You know, sometimes people just call him 312 on the boards, blowout boards. He has exposed more shady sellers, including guys with huge, like criminal records and of doing horrible things in, in, in some cases. Um, he, he's exposed them. And in more cases than not, if they are selling on eBay themselves, they're not including back photos. And, you know, the, the one big bust that, that was kind of a team bust, and you actually, I think, outed a card of his too, if I recall, SSI's, uh, Superior Sports Investments. I did. I think I found, he had a lot of Curry stuff. That's right. And you um, you found one of them that was trimmed, and, and we found numerous cards of his. But but generally speaking, he did not list the serial number in his in his listings, nor took back pictures of his cards. In, in the cases that he did, we busted him. And um, I, I still think, and this is my opinion again, that what we found out of SSI's inventory is a small fraction of his overall trimming output. Yeah, it, well, and if you looked at a lot of those listings, they were cards that, uh, kind of like we referred to earlier, are not easily traced. Right. Um, or, or ones that, you know, very commonly out of packs had damage, like... I, and I want to say the even the the tops gold. I think a lot of those were probably, and maybe I'm confusing my sets here. A lot of those were probably packed out in the backs of packs. So you know those are not coming out of packs pristine. And then they have to have a gold border. That's just another case against them. A lot of them are going to get dinged up. Um, and yet, like you said, there were lots of nines and tens. It seems fairly suspicious. Yeah, uh, if. Um... If, if, a, if a seller has card after card after card of condition-sensitive sets in extremely high grades, and particularly if those cards have BGS or PSA serial numbers that are very close to each other, chances are they all come from the same order. Chances are they all come from the same seller or same person submitting them. And, and I think it's fair to say um, there's a very good probability that many of those cards have been altered. And, and I think you... You mentioned the the tops color cards. Um, we we found some. I forget if it, I think it was PWCC. Uh, a couple different 2003 tops LeBron black cards that uh, were were trimmed because of the chipping on that that delicate black border. So uh, in you know they were in higher grade obviously after they were regraded. So um, you know it's just uh, you really have to know what you're buying. If, if you care about this stuff, because there is that segment of investor that as long as they have that third party, independent, allegedly trusted opinion, they don't care. They're, they're just buying to flip it or make some money because it's exciting. It's it's a lot more fun than, you know, watching the stock ticker on the bottom of your right. bottom of your screen or your app or what have you. So, yeah. And, and you really can't be uh, afraid to reach out to people that collected at that time. Um, for instance, the earlier 2000 stuff, a lot of those black tops cards, you know, they were thicker, they were brutal. And I remember because I pulled some of them, unfortunately not in the LeBron, but, um, a lot of the black cards from those years, just, they were brutal. They were thick. I hated them. In fact, I used them a lot of times just to separate my teams when I was putting cards in boxes. That's how little I thought of those cards. Um, so just know, you know, if you weren't around, then you, you want, you want to at least maybe buy a cheap card from that set just to, just to look at it in person and to get the feel for it. 
and to know what you're getting into. Um, so let's say now, let's say you've, you've done your due diligence and you've done everything that you could to research a card before you purchased it and you didn't find anything questionable, you made the purchase, you felt good about it, but then some new information comes out a year or two after that, which we've seen that happen many times now with this whole scandal over these last, I don't know how many months here. Um, are buyers just out of luck here or, or what can they do? Well, that's the that's the big question right now. What what can they do? Um, you know, I think one of the first things they might want to try to do is to to contact the original seller. Sometimes the seller might make good on it. I know PWCC is buying back cards right now. I have my uh, theories as to why they're doing that, but they are doing it. Uh, it it's a it's a slow process, and they're only buying back ones that have been confirmed to be outed as trimmed on blowout. If you approach a seller, and, and mind you, do it gracefully, but if you approach a seller, you, you've got to have some information here. You can't just say, I know this is trimmed, right? So you want to yeah. try and find, even though I know Brent said pictures weren't evidence, well, apparently they are because he's buying them back, but um, you need to have that those pictures and you need to have that evidence. Okay. Now, let's say it's not someone, uh, one of the big players though, like PWCC. Uh, would you still take that approach? Yeah, I would. I, I would ask. I would say, "Hey, this this card that you sold me has been shown to be trimmed." I'd point that, point them to the evidence, either email attachment or show them the links to the the blowout or wherever the post is, and um, see if they'll take it back. See if they're an honest seller. And you know, I think if it's a seller who cares about his or her reputation, I think they would. But there's many that probably wouldn't. Now, there's Correct. also, I know some credit card companies uh, have a hundred, I want to say it's 180 day window, which is a lot longer than eBay's 30 day window for returns. Uh, if you bought it through PayPal and used your credit card to purchase it, you might try a chargeback. And, and, and in most cases, I'm, I'm against chargebacks, but in this case, I would be for it if, if a seller wasn't taking a card back that you, you bought, say, five months ago. But when, when you're in the, into the period of a year or two years or three years, then you're kind of at the mercy of the seller, number one, and number two, the grading companies. Now, you, you do have a little bit more recourse with PSA than you would with BGS. BGS, there is no guarantee of grade authenticity. They, they have stated that, that, you know, they don't, and I've heard examples where if it's particularly egregious, they will buy them back. I, I can't confirm that. I've never spoke to anybody who had that happen. There's probably a post somewhere out there that mentions that. But PSA, if, if the card is in a PSA holder and it's trimmed, even if it was trimmed back in 2012, say, um, they do have that guarantee of great authenticity. But I know PSA is directing people to the sellers first. So if the seller of your PSA trimmed card says, you know, nothing, or tells you, no, I'm not refunding it, then your only recourse is with PSA. Short of that, I think it's gonna be a class action lawsuit if, if it ever comes to that, and if, if enough people form together to make up a class. But then there's those people who might just try to sell the card knowing it's trimmed again, and that, that's another danger, that there's gonna be people who see their cards outed on blowout 
and try to unload them as fast as they can, maybe in person at a card show so it doesn't isn't traced, um, just so they don't have to deal with it, uh, deal with refund process. And just because, uh, and I, I kind of touched on this previously, I think in my last episode, just because somebody has a trimmed card doesn't mean that, you know, they're at fault. Um, we all probably have them, you know, if you're buying a certain caliber of card, you probably have it in your collection, whether you realize it or not. Um, so just be, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, be gracious with them when you approach them. Try and have your evidence. Try and have everything lined up. Um, and then try and handle it in a responsible, uh, respectful way. That's um, right. All right. So now um, I kind of want to wrap things up here. I do want to give you a, a last chance here. If you have any other um, tips that maybe we haven't covered today, and I know you also have, I want to give you a chance to talk about your anonymous tip line as well. Um, Dan, the mic is yours. Okay, thanks. Yeah, so uh, other other advice right now, my take on this whole thing, do not buy from PWCC until this all gets straightened out. And it, it's nothing personal. Actually, you know, I got to say, like Betsy Higgins, when, when we first started finding trimmed cards in their inventory, she was very gracious and took them right down. Whereas uh, Propstein, you know, getting him to take anything down is, I, I've had success one time ever. And, and that was with a, a $30,000 Sidney Crosby uh, rookie patch uh, auto, or whatever they call the hockey version of RPAs. I, I'm trying to remember what, what they call them, but because I don't, I don't really collect I have, hockey. I honestly have no, yeah, yeah I have no but, idea. But it was like the, it was like the LeBron RPA of hockey, the Sidney Crosby uh, upper deck uh, card, and they took that down because I saw that I found the patch had been switched out. That's my one success with Propstein, but but PWCC, you know, I, I thought for the longest time they were the good guys, and I thought that they were the victim of their own success. I thought that trimmers and card doctors were sending their cards to PWCC because of their um, their ability to get higher prices than everyone else. Uh, a lot has changed since then, and uh, a lot of the accusations now against PWCC, and, and there's a great article on Sports Card Radio that proved that Gary Mosier um, was show bidding his own trimmed cards. Uh, and and uh, sportscardradio.com, if you want more information on the actual trimmers and some of their eBay handles and, and some of their escapades, you, you go there. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like the TMZ of the sports card world, but but when they do a research article, you can you can you know bet that it is well well documented. So I, I would avoid PWCC right now uh, more than anything. Uh, Probstein as well, I, I'd probably avoid. I avoid personally because I think that I think that they tend to just list whatever is sent to them, and uh, I think they're they're kind of a sloppy operation in my opinion. Yeah, you kind of have to just decide for yourself, you know, how comfortable you are with each individual seller. With you know, we're going to try and put the information in front of you, but then, you know. You got to decide on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us real quick about this um, anonymous tip line that you have. Yeah, so um, I I got a, a you know Proton mail address, a security email address, anonymous, uh, superdan49 at protonmail.com, where anyone can send me a tip on any card or seller that they think is is altered or if the seller is up to up to no good. Uh, we can look into it. Now, I want to add to that that 
I, I do tend to get a lot of email, and I would say most of them uh, are, are dead end leads. You know, there's a lot of I, I get a lot of emails of, of support too. You know, just thanking me or asking me to look into a card. Generally, if you want me to look into a card for you, uh, and this actually just happened on the boards, uh, I do ask for a small donation to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, Children's Research Hospital, in exchange for my time and services, because you know this is this is all volunteer right now, um, and uh, you know I, I I just want some good to come out of this in in some way, and I think that besides donations, which is a good to a good cause. I think the other good is we're going to end up ultimately, I think, and I hope you don't think I'm being kind of, you know, too Pollyanna or, or uh, glass half full about this. I think we're eventually going to end up with third party grading that is better and improved over the cesspool that it, that it is now, the cesspool of just incompetence and, um, you know, just this kind of uh, closed door mentality that they have to to grading, but I think I think it's going to get better. Grading number one and number two, we're going to have more educated collectors. I think that a lot of the the problem is people blindly trusted third party grading, and I think a lot of shady folks in the hobby found a way to make money by using third party grading against its stated purpose. Its stated purpose is to protect collectors from guys like them which is insane um we have to get them better and we have to hold them more accountable and um i actually have more hope for psa than than bgs and that's only because psa the parent company is collector's universe you know their their stock symbol is clct they're a publicly traded company so they have to be accountable to to stockholders where where bgs is not beckett all right well um People have been asking for it. I know you you guys have been so busy, it, it's hard to even get you on here, but I appreciate you taking time. You guys don't realize how busy he is. We got on the phone, and he got a, a tip while we were on the phone. I mean, it's just stuff's coming into him nonstop. So I appreciate, Dan, I appreciate um, your time tonight, and hopefully that people found this to be interesting, and hopefully they found it to be helpful as well. So thank you very much. Kyle, thank thank you so much for having me on, and um, you know, keep up the good work. This, this is a great podcast, and I think you uh, you do a great job. All right, there you have it. That was my conversation with Super Dan. But before I let you go today, I've got something on my mind, and I think it it links really well with something that that Dan said towards the end of our conversation when he was talking about uh, people asking him to do work for them, and he said, I just want some good to come out of this. Um, There is a lot of negativity in the hobby right now, whether it's from trimming scandals or it's um, different Instagram scandals or you've got different, seems like, factions of people developing, which is really ridiculous. The investors versus the collectors, the high-end versus the low-end, and it's just, you know, I think we're, we're a lot, we have a lot more in common than maybe we're conceding to. I think, we, you know, we're all in this thing together here. So it's really been on my mind this week, and I've been r- racking my brain on what can be done. You know, how can we kind of bring some of this together and push out some of this negativity? I think it's a community-oriented problem. Um, I think it requires a communal approach to solving it. 
And um, I look at what Dan did, and I look at where he's taking his skill set, he's taking his love of the hobby, and he's channeling that love towards doing something he enjoys, but then also um, getting donations for St. Jude out of that. And I, I think, you know, I always try and leave you guys with some sort of activity or some sort of hashtag or something to post to follow up with. I think that's kind of where I want to go, is what can we do that moves this hobby forward? Um, what can you do that's positive towards this hobby this week, that's positive towards the people in this hobby? And I think we should all start small. You know, you don't have to go and create an amazing app or write an article. Now, by all means, if you're motivated to do those things, if you like doing that stuff, if you have the time and the desire, then go ahead, go ahead and do that. It could be as small as just complimenting somebody on their collection. It could be engaging someone and asking them, you know, why do you collect a certain player? What sticks out about that card to you? Something that um, creates dialogue that moves this thing forward. Um, think about the skill sets you have. What can you do to help other people in this hobby? Let's make this a community-oriented affair. Um, if you'd like to bounce some ideas off of me, hit me up on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>